to be here today. Uh, and obviously on any kind of balmy day like this, it's a pleasure to be anywhere where it's warm, right? Um, I am not afraid of the cold. I, a couple years ago, I was up with the Russian pastors above the Arctic Circle as we went to the reindeer people. Uh, it was a balmy day of 10 below there, and then we got on snowmobiles for eight hours in the middle of nowhere, and they live that way, and it's, and it's fun for me. I still like that. I also can get into some places that are hot. I remember being in northern Kenya where it was 110 degrees, no water, and I, I thought, how do people survive in this? You know, give me a nice cold day any day. You know, you can always put another coat on, right? You can only take so much off without getting arrested. So that is really my motto in life. But I have a wonderful wife, a beautiful wife, and three fantastic daughters. Um, I am a, one of the founding members of the Fathers of Female Support Group, yes. Even our, fe even our dog is female, so some days I would come home and they open the front door and estrogen would just ooze out. I still don't know, understand it all the way. I figured that was my first cross-cultural lesson in language learning. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, if you're married and your wife says, how does this dress look, okay? Okay, that's two different things. A man might think she's asking for an opinion. Now, I'm just going to say those words sound that way, but I'm going to give you a cross-cultural lesson. That she is looking for a compliment, not an opinion. So just say, it is beautiful, it is beautiful. So I learned that right away. But my girls and my wife just are a blessing. We left the States, landed in Moldova, and my girls were one, three, and seven. So they grew up in the, on the mission field, really. That was their life. Their first, our youngest, her first word was Romanian, apa, which is water. You know, and she, she learned, they've learned what it is like to live overseas. And, they love it, and they're passionate about it, and I, I think it's fantastic. I am not from a background of ministry. I mean, I don't have a, I'm not a PK, which is a pastor's kid for some people. They use that, or an MK, a missionary kid. I'm a CK, a carpenter's kid, so that's what I grew up doing, pounding nails. It's not bad, because I think Jesus was a CK, too. So you just think of that, you know, it's a good, good lineage to have. Pounded nails, I was born in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, grew up in Cornell, not far Went to the Bible camp just down the road here in Amacoggin, or um, Nabagaman, sorry. I used to fish in Amacoggin, sorry. I get all the ends together. And I um, had no intention ever to go into ministry. My goal and dream through high school was to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and hunt and trap for a living. That's all I wanted to do. You know, I just want to disappear to the North Country. And God got a hold of my life. I ended up going to Bible college. God led us into ministry, pastoring. We pastored for years, moved to Montana, pastored there for 10 years. So we had been pastoring for about 13 years, never had any intention to leave, and came home from a service one time, a mission service. We had somebody sharing at our church, and I spoke to Nancy. I said, I wonder if God is going to speak to us about missions. And it started us along this path, and we started praying about it, and praying about it, and praying about it. And God, where do you, do you really want us to go? Is this just some kind of harebrained idea that I had, you know, from too much pepperoni pizza the night before? You know, that kind of feeling. And I said, okay, God, we really need to know. And it was probably two months down the road. Now, Nancy's story is always different than mine because God spoke to her well before me. But I was praying, and I came to the church sanctuary early one morning. We had chairs just like this. Actually, our, our sanctuary is just a little smaller than this. I remember it. Different color, but the same chairs. And I was pacing back and forth. And I was right about here and had my Bible open because I often do that when I'm praying, reading the Scripture and praying and reading the Scripture and and there was a passage where people give Jesus excuses. You know those ones in the Bible. I just got some new oxen. I can't follow you yet. Another guy said, my father just died. Let me go back and bury him. And Jesus' response was, let the dead bury the dead. It was like right then God spoke to me and said, Andy, quit making excuses. We're all good with excuses. 
right? I mean, it used to be the dog ate my homework, now it's the computer crash. But when we find ways to make excuses. And so I called my parents a couple hours later and talked to my dad. I said, Dad, I'm thinking that maybe God is calling us into missions. And the first words out of his mouth were, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? I am not exaggerating at it. I was like, um, let's see, where was that verse? Uh, yeah, I, so it started us on the path of praying, going into missions. And we started praying about where. We didn't know. We had a heart for Eastern Europe. We talked to people everywhere from Albania to Russia to Moldova. First time we ever heard of Moldova. We said, well, we're not going there because I've never even heard of that country before. Um, and so we kept praying. And I had a... I actually had a dream. It was one night, middle of the night, 3, um, 3.45 in the morning. I was laying on the couch. and I, we had, At that point of life, we had three little kids. So there, if you understand, if you have three little kids, that was the stage of life of perpetual exhaustion. I mean, that's what we lived in all the time. And so our middle child comes to the bed, and if only of you recognize this, if you've gone through this before, you wake up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., look and see these two little beady eyes right next to the bed. Ah, you know, what is this, you know? And I pulled her Natalie into bed with us, and she's the one child that does gymnastics in the middle of the night, and I'm just so tired. I said, that's it, I'm going to the couch. So I actually went to the living room so I could get a good night of sleep, and I was laying there. had a, a dream and a picture of myself standing before a group of people like this. Never saw anybody's faces, but a group of people, and I heard myself say, we are so excited to be your missionaries to Moldova. I went, Moldova? Just like that. And the voice coming back to me was, Moldova, 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 Moldova. Well, God and I had this little profound conversation of one word, Moldova. And I said, okay, God, we'll go. And I got up and walked into the bedroom, September 19, you know, 2001, shook Nancy and said, 3.45 in the morning, Nancy, we need to go to Moldova. And she said, oh, I could have told you that six weeks ago. Rolled back over and went back to sleep. She already knew it. So we did, and we landed in Moldova, and that became home. Now, Moldova's not a luxury country. I mean, people don't go there. It's... You know, it's, it's the poorest country in Europe. Um, at one point, Time Magazine had it listed as the unhappiest country in the world. You know, I, th I thought this would make a great t-shirt. You know, if you have too much joy, too much happiness, just come to Moldova. We will suck you dry. I mean, that's really <laughs> what it is. But, you know, it's just a, a broken place, but we loved it. And I learned Russian. My wife and girls learned Romanian. And, you know, we ministered. You learn where the potholes are on the road, and there are potholes. There are potholes big enough to do water baptisms in. And although, I mean, it, and you learn how to use the squatty potties. You learn how to go to the market and get your fruit and vegetables. And it just becomes home. And we were ready there, and we were ready to pack up and go back for our, our third term. And we got a call from our regional director at that time. He said, I'd like to visit with you about maybe going to Russia and helping us out in there as area directors and leadership for Russia. And we went, I don't want to go to Russia. I, I know Moldova. I know where the potholes are located. And we went and visited with him. And a couple hours later, he said, you know, would you consider doing this? And I walked out of there going, ah, let me pray about it. Now let me just, I'm going to translate what pray about it means. In the Christianese, if you've been around the church long enough, the term, I will pray about it, usually is a delaying technique, okay? Most of the time, we know we're supposed to say yes. Pastor comes up, hey, yeah, I really need somebody to help with ushers. Oh, I'll pray about it. And you know you should just say yes right there. But we delay, and we do that all the time. And I, I mean, there's, I, I make light of it. Really, we do have to pray. But I knew probably at that instant, even at that instant, I was supposed to say yes. But I, I prayed and prayed, and we said yes, kind of reluctantly. And I went to Russia and fell in love with Russia. I love the Russian people. The Russian pastors are some of my closest friends in the world. And I, I say that because sometimes people have this weird 
theology as don't say you don't want to do that, okay? Because then God's going to ask you. Don't say, oh, you know, I never would want to go into missions into Brazil. Oh, don't say that, because then that's where God's going to send you. As if he's up there, you know, going, how can I make him miserable? You know, it's, it's not that. It's because we get comfortable. God cares more about your growth than your comfort. Now, even in a mission service like this, why does a church need to emphasize to the ends of the earth? Sometimes because we get so comfortable. We know our world right here. We know all the people. In fact, I had somebody just share just yesterday a great analogy. We were talking about the, the power of giving tithe because it breaks the control of money. The power of taking a Sabbath because it, it breaks the, the control of our work ethic. You know, that we break it up and say, God is our provider and we need that Sabbath. And they said, you know, the reason we give to missions, that's the one area of giving that their only blessing you'll receive is when you step across the gates into heaven and you see your investment. See, we can give tithe to the church and we get, a, a better, we get better chairs and we get warmth and we get youth ministry and kids ministry and all of that. This is the one discipline that forces us to say, the world is bigger than just here in my community. And God is going to challenge you over and over again. I want you to get uncomfortable and pray about this world. We need people who are engaged in missions. It's not just a financial thing. It's an engagement in missions that cares for this world. Amen? For God so loved the world. Not just Wisconsin. Not just Superior. Not just Duluth. Not just the North Country. Not just people who love Lefse and Ludafisk and Rumagratin, and not those things. It's for all people. Not just people that look like you, that speak the same language. God loves this world. I'm going to read a quote from a very famous man of literature, uh, Bilbo Baggins and Gandalf in The Hobbit. Gandalf says, I'm looking for somebody to share an adventure in that I'm arranging, and it's difficult to find anybody. And Bilbo the Hobbit says, oh, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't see what anyone sees in them. Gandalf says, you'll have a tale or two when you come back. Bilbo looks and says, you can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf's response is really profound. No, and if you do, you will not be the same. And I love that because Jesus says the same thing. He says, I'm looking for men and women young and old, who step out and go on an adventure. In his words, he said, come, follow me. And Peter left his nets, and he followed him. So Jesus has called us to the adventure of following him. And, he walk, and when he says that, we walk with him. We have no idea. I already shared my story. I thought I'd be in the Yukon. You know, that's all I would be, in a log cabin or, or work in some place. But God has called me on a different adventure. But God has called every one of us to obey Him and follow Him. Now, in the best scripture that I love is Acts 1.8. I think this, where this verse comes from. Jesus said, I want you to wait. Now, I want you to get the setting in here. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. These are, when you realize, these are the last words that Jesus shared still standing on earth. Okay, well, I know we got some vision stuff toward the end of the New Testament up here. But these are His last words while He was still on earth before he ascended. And he said, wait in Jerusalem, and you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what's the last one? 
to the ends of the earth. Okay, let's just try that one more time. I know this is cold, I know. And this is, let's just say, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. Now I want you to challenge you, there's four areas there. And as a church, Central Assembly here, you need to be doing what you can do in four areas. I know this is a mission service, I know I'm talking about the ends of the earth, but really these are four areas that are connected by an and. You're going to be in Jerusalem. Now you understand that this is a concentric circle. So pick your community. You're going to be my witnesses right here in Superior. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. So let's go a little broader. You know, the, the next town down, the next community over. You're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. Now Samaria has a little nuance. There was some bad blood. There was prejudice. That is the church leading the way to reconcile people that have that historical prejudice. And we need to be the leaders in that. Then to the ends of the earth. Now all of them are important. They're all equally important, aren't they? He didn't divide them up. He didn't say this one's more important than the other. But they all take a little different emphasis and resources. Yeah. Let me ask you, how much energy does it take it for you to go talk to your neighbor about Jesus? Well, I got to get up out of the lazy boy, right? I got to take my feet, walk across the street, have a cup of coffee, and share Christ with them, right? So there's, there is energy, you know, you're look, counting your calories, I use some energies. If you've got one of those Fitbits, hey, I got a 500 steps going over there. We use that. There's a little bit of energy. Judea, how much is it going to cost? Well, I might have to put a tank of gas in to drive up to the next community that's just down 20 miles down the road. We're going to plant a church. We're going to see something happen there, right? We're going to do that. There's $20. Samaria, ooh, it's going to cost us some pride, first of all. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to reconcile. We're going to reach out to people who are very different than us. I, I tell you, Samaria, folks, people forget the prejudice that are here. And in today's world, the world is moving all around you. I, anywhere I go, I can probably bump into somebody from Russia in this community. I don't know if they're here, but it seems like I go in a grocery store and if I spend a few days, I'll hear somebody with a different accent. God is bringing the world around. I went to North Central, now it's all Somalis down there. I mean, it, it's moved around. And there is bad, bad blood sometimes between some of these things. My neighbors where I live right now, there's two sisters that live right next to us, 81 and 91, okay? They, and the older one, Gene said, why are you going to Russia? They're the enemies. <laughs> and I thought, ah, Gene, Jesus still loves them. You know, we've got to tear down those walls and reconcile. And then to the ends of the earth. Now, it takes more energy. It's like moving a rocket ship and breaking orbit, right? Think of it. You don't, if a rocket's going to move a satellite into the orbit, they don't just move the thing up and fill it up with unleaded gas. No, they measure the fuel in tons of rocket fuel. Because it takes so much. For us to get somebody to go to Laos to plant a church, we've got to get the resources. We've got to send them there. They've got to learn the language. They've got to invest. And I'm up in the middle of nowhere, Laos, and I can see the bomb craters still left over from the Vietnam War. And I realize the amount of energy it took for Abe and his wife and his family to come here to see the church planted. It's not more important than Superior. It just takes a little different energy. It's farther. So the ends of the earth is why we emphasize why your church, why you should invest in missions because it just takes more to break the ground. You can pick up wood in your backyard, but if you're going to cut down a tree, a massive tree, it takes a big chainsaw and it's a lot of energy. But we need to see some of these trees fall around this world. 
and we need to do it. And it's going to take an energy, and it's going to take a spiritual energy, and a financial commitment, and in people that are engaged to see the church established where it doesn't, doesn't exist. Amen? Yeah. Acts, Acts 1.8 just drives me when I think about that. You will be my witnesses. About two years ago, I think it's two years ago now. It's, I kind of lose, sometimes, you know, how the older you get, time flies by. It could be three. But I, I landed in the nation of Iran. Now, Iran is not, um, I got the visa the day before the whole visa thing happened. So the election had happened, all this stuff was going on. There was kind of political things going on. But I, I had this opportunity to go to Iran as a tourist, is the only way you can get in there, but to visit it and to see what was going on. Now, the fastest nation, the fastest church in the world right now, the fastest church growth anywhere in the world is inside Iran. Now, I know that kind of blows your mind when you realize it, but it is happening. Now, we don't have missionaries inside Iran. We have them located around, and when the Iranians go on vacation, they share Christ with them. They just come to Christ left and right. Oh, I want to know about God. So I landed. Anyway, I didn't know what to expect because I'm relatively fearless, but Iran, I was hoping, was not a one-way trip. I mean, my, even my wife said, I, I'm not sure if you should go. And, well, I talked to other people, go. Other people don't go. Other people go. So I said, well, let's go. You know, so a friend and I went. Landed in Istanbul. I switched tickets. Switched. I even have, I, because of all my travels, I have two passports. I did a different passport because I don't like the American to really see that I went to Iran. And so I brought it in there, landed in the nation of Shiraz. As I was flying in, there was an Iranian man sitting next to me talking. Oh, you're going to love Iran. You're going you're gonna, to, oh, you got to try this food. You've got to go see this. Okay. And what am I, you have all these preconceived ideas of what Iran's going to be like. Got, got on the bus to go up to the terminal after our plane landed. And this little lady who couldn't speak English, but she talked to this other, through this other guy. I said, oh, you're from Iran, uh, America. Thanks for coming to our country. I wish you were coming to my village. I would treat you for a dinner. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, all my ideas of what Iran was like was kind of fading. Got to the passport control. They just stamped it and said, thanks for coming. And over the next eight days, I have never been in a friendlier nation toward Americans than the nation of Iran. I'm not exaggerating that. Every time they say, oh, you're from America? Oh, thanks so much for coming. Can I get a selfie with you? I, 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 if I would have had $10 for every selfie, I could have bought one of those silk rugs. I mean, literally, hey, have a picture. You know, they'd want to do a picture with us. And now, here's my, my takeaway. I just want to challenge you. Never let the nightly news drive your interpretation of the Great Commission. God loves Iran. And he's working inside Iran. And he's doing miracles. They're discipling via text messaging. They have WhatsApp or some other you know, forums, and they have small groups, and they're meeting in homes. Now, it's not outside, but it's people coming together, people of faith, as they find Jesus Christ. One of our team members is living nearby in, a, in one of the nations, and he's, he had an unfortunate situation where he fell sick, and he was very ill, and so he decided, I mean, he had to actually go to the hospital, and the doctor said, you can go home now, but you have to stay in your apartment. You're too sick, you have to stay there, and so he said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it, and, he went up to his apartment. He was kind of complaining to God, belly aching to God. Why do I have to be in here? And the rest of the team is out there right now. It was the peak tourism time, so all the Iranians were coming over. They're sharing about Christ. And so he finally said, oh, the Lord spoke to him. He says, well, you can go outside and sit down. Oh, okay, I'll do that. So he got up out of his chair, walked out of the apartment door, and walked down the steps and sat on the bench right outside of his apartment building. No sooner had he sat down, and then a man came up to him, an Iranian man, and looked at him 
and said, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Good. I knew somebody was going to be here today. I was supposed to come here today and somebody would tell me about God. And for the next 10 to 15 minutes, that young man shared about Jesus Christ with him, led him in salvation, and that man came to Jesus Christ. See, over and over again, we even heard it right here. Job said, you know, there's how many? 21 Iranians that had to flee the country were baptized right there in Belgium at the International Church. We have seen thousands and thousands of Iranians that have come to Christ in the last couple of years due to that tragedy. In fact, that tragedy of the refugees has actually turned around to be a blessing for the kingdom of God. It moved people out of that. I don't know if you remember. Remember the refugees coming out? There was, they were flowing, flooding across the Mediterranean. They were taking those little rubber rafts and they were landing in Europe and working their way across. I met one of the guys in Vienna. His name is Michael. Michael happened to be Iranian, but there's all of these Middle Easterns. He told me his story, and it was fascinating. He says, I remember, he's, this, this sobered me. He said, I always had a heart for God, but the only God I knew was Allah. So I became a devout Muslim. I just want you to sink, let that sink in. The only God I knew was Allah. You know, every, every month, and they're back here on the table, I'd love you to make sure you grab one and take one or both on the way out. I'm not taking any of them back. This is the Worldview magazine. And we talk about one or two countries in here. Sometimes what God is doing Sometimes it's just about a need, just about praying. We need you to pray for a country we have no missionaries in. And we put these out there just to keep sharing the story of what God's doing. So I want you to make sure you grab one. If you want to keep in contact, you can always stick your email out there too. But I, I look at that because I, as I see these faces in these places, I often think of the individuals, and I wonder, if, I ask myself, have they ever heard about Jesus? And I really do. Because it's not a light question. There are so many places. I've stood in St. Petersburg in the metro, the subway station, and the doors open up there, and there's tens and thousands of people streaming by me. And I know that in St. Petersburg, the number of Christians is a quarter of 1%. And as I stand there, almost statistically, I can think through and realize, how many of these people, do they even have one encounter in their life with a Christian? Do they even know? Have they ever heard? That should move us more than anything. Lord, there's places out there that people do not know Jesus Christ, and they have never heard about him once. So Michael says, I had a, heart, I had a passion for God. Followed after Allah, I became a serious Muslim. I even did my pilgrimage to Mecca. I was in Mecca during my pilgrimage, and I heard corporal punishment being happened over there. Then, in other words, the hands of thieves were being chopped off. And he heard the tears and the screams, and it was like something snapped on the inside, and he said, that is my religion? And became a little disillusioned with it. Went back home. He went and studied in London at a university, studying some business stuff. And he says, I remember I was at a bus station, and I came up to this bus station, this little British girl came up to me, and looked at me and said, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And he looked at her, and he says, I'm a Muslim, turned his back, and got on the bus. He says, ah, fast forward, He's in, he had to flee the country. He was one of those that made their way across Turkey, got on a rubber raft, made their way across the Mediterranean Sea, got into Europe, worked his way up through Europe, was in Vienna. The first day he was in Vienna was in a subway station, and an Egyptian woman walked up to him and said, hi, where are you from? Well, here's where I'm from. He says, oh, wonderful, we got people just like you at our church. You want to come with me tomorrow? Okay. He didn't know anything. He didn't know anybody. He didn't know where to go. 
So he said, okay, I'll do it. They arranged to meet the next morning. Next morning, she came back to the, the, the subway station, met him, took him to church, and he's in service. Now, I know, we had great worship. And sometimes we take it for granted. Right? This is maybe a little chastisement. Sometimes we forget how wonderfully blessed we are that we can stand in this place and we can raise our hands and we can declare the worship to the Lord. Because there is so much of this world that has never experienced at one time in their entire life. And I want the next time there's worship that you just say, God, thank you. This is a blessing that I can actually verbally praise you. Because as Michael stood in that service, it was the first worship service toward Jesus. First worship toward Jesus he had ever heard in his life. And he's standing there in his mind flashback. He says, I remembered everything. I went back. It's like the Lord showed me. I went back and I remember myself standing in Mecca getting disillusioned with Islam. I remember, when, I remember that scene. He said, when I was at the bus station, that British girl came up to me and said, Jesus loves you. And I remembered that. And when the service came on, he ran to the altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Joe talked about 21 people being baptized. That church has over 100 Iranians that have come to Christ in the last year and a half. All lost, hungry for something, passionate. And I just want to challenge you, the impossible is not impossible. This is why we believe in missions. Amen? Fauzi is a, has an interesting story. He's one of our missionaries down in North Africa in Mali. And he, he came from a Lebanese Muslim background historically. Fauzi should be, he's retirement age, should be retiring. But he, he got saved and he had this idea. And so he's been serving as a missionary for years after he came to Christ. And he said, I want to do something totally different. He left the capital city of, Ma, of Mali, Bamako, and he went out about three hours south to a little village. In the village, he has a farm there. He set up a model farm. And what he's doing, he had some, knew some agriculture, and he's teaching this. This is the hardest area of Mali. This tribe is the most serious Muslim tribe. Now, I, I'm using Muslim illustrations today. It could just as well be Buddhist or Hindu. They're all challenging. Animist and secular Europe. I'm telling you, I've, Europe is a hard mission field. It is one of the hardest mission fields. In fact, the people more Muslims come to Christ in a place like Mali than you see a, a secular European come to Christ. It's, we have to have missions in all these places. But Fauzi said, I'm going to do this. And so he went outside to this tribe and they, they gave him some land. And what he's done is set up like a model farm. Now I grew up farming, cutting hay and bucking bales and do all these kind of things. This is different farming stuff. I mean, they have crops. He did teach them how to do a second crop of wheat. I know that sounds minor, but they only get one crop, and they're always right on the starvation line. In fact, this area across Africa is called the Sahel, S-A-H-E-L. And it's that right below Sahara. Anytime you see those big famines going on, it's usually from this area. So the difference about getting one crop and two crops, it's not just I get a little bigger house. It's I survive or I don't survive. So he's teaching them that. Teaching them how to irrigate, shows irrigation things, has trees, and hey, here's some trees you can make some more money on, fruit trees, what would work here? And what happens is they have a, a tin shed, I'd say it's about the size of this section, and it's just tin, okay? That is their shelter, that was their home when I was there. All the guys would come in, they'd sleep in there, they'd put mosquito nets around, not to keep the mosquitoes off, but to keep the scorpions from coming in and biting them while in the middle of the night. Fauzi would stay there. He had another pa retired pastor that was out there from Mali. And the rest of them were young guys sent in from the village to learn farming. So he would sit there. In the morning, they get up, all these Muslim young guys. They gather around the breakfast table. 
follows in the other Christian. They pray, they share a little devotional, they eat breakfast together, and they go out to the field. Then they come back in, and they have to do the same thing at lunch. They talk a little bit about Jesus, read the Bible, do a devotional, pray for the meal. They all eat the meal together, and they take a little nap because it's so hot. Then they go back out to the field. Same thing for dinner. A little Bible, a little scripture, talk to them about it. They all just spend time eating together around the table. When I was there with Fauzi, he said, Oh, over the last year, 20 of these young men have come to Jesus Christ. 20 of the impossible. And so I say that the impossible situations are not impossible. God can use whatever. He can use a farmer to plant the church. When we landed in Moldova, um, we landed in Moldova, we, we did a lot of things. I worked with Convoy of Hope, we did church planting, but my wife started Freedom Home. It was an aftercare home for girls that were trafficked into prostitution. It was kind of before the issue of the day, you didn't hear about it, there was no Christian sitting at the table when she started. And when she realized the best thing for Moldova was actually a long-term care. So, you know, it's modern-day slavery, human slavery, and one of the girls, who I'll call Amy, it's not her name, but I change it. Um, Amy was sold by her mom when she was 13 years old. Went to Moscow, forced to beg on the streets of Moscow, prostituted, beaten, abused, all kinds of horrendous stuff. We ended up finding her, or somebody found her, in Moldova with a one-year-old child, passed out drunk on a bus stop. And so we ended up bringing both her and her little daughter, Veronika, into the home. Veronika was one. She was a really cute girl. I mean, she was so cute. One-year-old. She would sit there and go, carne, carne, which is meat. That's a Romanian word for meat. It never had meat, so can I have some meat? And she was so cute. And we just fell in love with little Veronica and her mom. But Amy was messed up. Like, she did not understand love. She was kind of like a street dog. If you ever know a dog that's been kicked by too many times or had rocks thrown at them, they're like always looking and paranoid that something's going to happen. That's her. No life in her eyes. And she couldn't understand, why does my daughter love you guys more than she loves me? Well, it's because we love her back. Oh, okay. I mean, she just did not understand. One year down the road, Amy came to Christ. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. And I saw life come back to her eyes. I don't know if you've ever said this, but I have. I wish I could have been there when Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Oh, man, I would have, I would have liked to have actually seen that happen. I tell people, I have seen Lazarus walk out of the tomb, and his name is Amy. Because I saw a dead person come to Christ. And she, the, the life came in. Another year down the road, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you saw smiles come on her face. In fact, Wednesday, I'm leaving, and I'll, I'll be there Thursday night. And I guarantee I'll see her either Thursday or Friday. And she's going to come running up to me. And that wonderful girl has been transformed by God. Now, it hasn't been easy. We're talking two years down the road. In fact, two and a half years probably, we had went back over and there's, what's wrong? What's, it's like the old Amy was back. And so we said, well, every time she, we found out, every time she was laying down at night, she'd hear these voices. They're like demonic voices, suicidal thoughts, you should leave this place. And she hadn't slept. So Nancy and I prayed that first night. But we wanted to come back and really pray. Nancy looked at her and said, Amy, do you want to be free? Yes, I want to be free. So we prayed, about 15 minutes. And there was no demonstrative stuff, no fireworks, anything like that. But at the end of 15 minutes, Nancy looked at Amy and said, um, Amy, what do you think? How do you feel? And Amy just smiled and said, oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, why do you say that? Oh, when you were praying, I opened my eyes and Jesus spoke to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and what did he say? 
He said, Amy, do not fear. Do not be afraid. The demon is gone. Do not fear. And we went, oh, okay. Now, Amy has probably fetal alcohol, has been beaten. She never remembers things twice. So we said, okay, I want you to repeat that again. And so she repeated it again. We got a, one of the Romanian workers to come in with us, get her Bible. She repeated it verbatim the third time. We wrote it in the front of her Bible. I already mentioned I'll see her at the end of this week. And when she comes running up to me and hugs me, at that moment, you realize you're holding something priceless. I remember it. And it comes every single time. Now, it costs us blood, sweat, and tears, sleepless nights, hair I could not afford to lose. I mean, all of it. But when you hold her and you realize Veronica now, who is 10 years old, I think she's in third grade. She wants to be an air, airplane pilot. You know, last time I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I think we had some time. It might change. But I think she wants to be an airplane pilot, probably because she sees Uncle Andy come and go. And I want to be there with Uncle Andy. And I realize this is what it's all about. This is what it's about, folks. Now, I know at the end of this um, is a faith promise. I know, I know the church are going to challenge you. And what this is is really, I'm going to explain this. This is not a pledge. Nobody follows you up. Nobody says, hey, where is your pledge? This is really a commitment between you and God. Now, it helps the church. That's why they do this, because they'll look and say, okay, we've got people who are committing to uh, $2,000 a month, or $1,000 a month, or $5,000, whatever it comes out. Because it really isn't, that is a matter. And then they say, we can add this missionary, we can add another missionary. Because there's always missionaries needing support, and how, how can we get some of these new missionaries going out? But it's really between you and God. And it's you to say, Lord, I don't know what, but I, I want to try to do something monthly. And I want to try to give. And I don't know. God never cares about the number of zeros. Okay? God cares about what you're doing with what he's given you. I, when I pastored in Montana, I had a guy share a message. And he was preaching about a light for the lost. Which is, a, they're buying, raising some money to buy Bibles. And he shared it. He says, the last service I was at, a girl came up to me and said, Here, here's $2.76. It's all I have. But would you use it to buy a Bible for somebody in Russia? And he shared that little story. And there was a guy in my church who visited about twice a year. I knew who he was. He was from out of state, and he came in. And as at the service that was done, he came up to that man, and he gave him a check of $40,000 to buy all the needs of the Bibles around here. And he looked at him, and he said, this $40,000 is not as much as the girl that gave $2.76. So I don't know what you have, you know. Some of you could write $3,000 a month. Some people could write $3 a month. Whatever the challenge is, is really you saying, Lord, what do you want me to give? I, I want to tell you that I pray, and Nancy and I support a half dozen missionaries. We believe in it. I would never even ask for something that I don't do myself. My girls who are in high school or one that just in college, they both caught on. They said, hey, how can we? They're just start, they don't even have jobs, but we're going to support a missionary $5 a month. And they, they do it, or $10 a month. They start and I just want to challenge you that we're going to do this at the end. But the reason I do is, I wish I could take this now and turn it around and write a name on the back. And I'd probably on yours just write Amy. Because at the end of every dollar or $10 or $100 or $1,000, it's people who have sacrificed and gave. There's a life that is changed and transformed. We don't believe in giving to missions. We don't believe in going to the ends of the earth. We believe in going to the ends of the earth and seeing somebody named Amy come to life, find Jesus Christ, be healed, see a miracle in process. There's somebody who has given $5, and there's a man named Michael who's now in Vienna, 
an Iranian man who came to Christ because somebody cared enough to send missionaries the first time. And that church was started in Vienna. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it has an outreach. Somebody gave enough to support a missionary and went to Mali. And there's 20 of these young guys from Muslim backgrounds whose dads are all chiefs and Muslims who say, we'll still send you our sons because we love what you are doing. In fact, would you train my son to be a pastor? One of them even said that. He's a Muslim. And he said, you can train my son to be a pastor. A community will change because we are doing that. Now, this is only one part. The second part is prayer. And I have got to encourage you to pray. I firmly believe nothing we can do can change lives apart from prayer. I'll give you one last illustration. In St. Petersburg, they have this china called Lamanosef China. Okay, you can Google it afterwards, and, or if you're really bored now, you can get it on your phone, okay? Lamanosef China, it's a czar's china, it's porcelain, it's, they have some beautiful stuff. And it's really fine china. And I bought it for my girls, and you find it on sale or birthdays, and it's beautiful. Now, if I, this was a tile floor, and I dropped that porcelain thing, it would shatter in a million pieces. Now, I'm a parent. I'm just going to tell you, I should have bought stock and super glue years ago, because I have glued more Barbie's heads on, Polly Pockets, little pet shops, all the, you know, if you're a parent, hey, this broke, and so you glue it. If it's big enough pieces, you can glue it together, right? I mean, you know the drill. I can fix this. If you break that thing on, the, on a hard thing, it shatters into a million pieces. There's no putting that back together. I can sweep it up. What if it's, some of it's dust? It's just crushed. I mean, you cannot glue that together. This is my definition of what Pentecostal is now. My abilities ended at the door of Freedom Home. I had nothing I could do for Amy. Only Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit, could resurrect that dead soul. And I look at that right now, that there's a world full of brokenness. None of us as missionaries can do a thing. All we do is we come in there. But go back to Genesis when man was first created, it says God swept up the dust, blew life in it, and man came into existence. And I look at Amy's life, it was so broken, so shattered. But God blew his spirit. It's because people are praying. I'm just telling you, I don't have any abilities, but God can heal a soul. Amen? Amen. is a great missionary, but it's only the Holy Spirit that can speak to people. We need to have you praying. And so probably the nightly news right now or the monthly worldview or whatever it is, you need to read those and say, Lord, let me pray for something to happen. Let's see the church grow in Morocco. Let's see something happen in Laos. Let's see the church somehow do something in China or, or in Brazil, the rainforest, or in Argentina. Lord, do something. And I encourage you, begin to pray. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, this church right here today all my words are just words. But you, through the power of your Spirit, can speak to hearts. And so, God, right now, in this still place, I pray that you begin to whisper into the heart of every person here. Lord, I pray that you make them uncomfortable. Maybe they're uncomfortable and they, they wrote out a simple number and you, you want to change it. Maybe they have to double it or add a zero. Maybe they realize they're playing it safe. Lord, I pray that you speak to us about what we need to give. Lord, speak to us about our heart and our concern for this world. Lord, if we are so caught up in our little sphere of friends all around us and we fail to cry and weep for those that are, that are lost, Lord, burden our hearts so that our hearts break for this world. For those in Iran, as well as those in Spain. For those in Madagascar or, or Suriname, from Mexico. 
for Japan, for Russia, and for the Amy's that are in Moldova and in hundreds of places around this world. Lord, I pray that you break our hearts so that we intercede for that. And Lord, I also pray that if you're speaking to one person here or two people here about going into missions, Lord, I firmly believe that this church not only needs to give, not only needs to pray, but I pray that you will send somebody out of here. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that your spirit will give them courage. Give every person within this room courage today to follow you. Giving and praying and going. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Blessings on you. Um, I just want to encourage you, if you want prayer afterwards, and whenever everybody dismisses, I'd love to pray with you. And if God is speaking to you about missions, going, I particularly want to sit and just talk to you and pray with you. I'm just going to pray the Lord blesses you. Parents, grandparents, can I speak to you directly here before I pass it on? If your kid or grandson says, you know, the Lord's speaking to me, I, I really feel like I should go and I want to be a missionary, don't talk them out of it. The number one reason they back off is parents and grandparents say, no, why don't you become a lawyer, get a good job, why don't you get an engineer, why don't you work here. Don't leave. Bless them and let them go. Amen. Thank you so much, Andy. Can we please show our appreciation for Andy Ross this morning?